Um, all right, well, whether you have a digital Bible or an analog Bible, meaning you have to turn pages, why don't you head to Psalm 139, Psalm 139. And while you're doing that, let me welcome those of you who are watching online today, whether that's at mypathway.church or Facebook. We can welcome them, can't we? We welcome you. Thank you for being a part with us. Um, and so glad that you're with us today. And I think they told me that we had the UK watching this morning. So I, you know, anyways, if you're UK, if you're there, happy, happy UK day. And so anyway, so glad that you're there. So Psalm 139, we are starting a new series today. It's a new series of messages. How many are always excited to start a new series of messages? I know I am. And, uh, and so uh, this series is called Here, There, and Everywhere. Here, There, and Everywhere, which is going to be a great series about the presence of God it is also a great Beatles song. So, which, and if you're sitting here and you don't know who the Beatles are, we are praying for you. And that means you, 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 you're too young and you need to be cultured more, or you were too, growing up, you were too churchy and too spiritual to be any earthly good and, and you never listened to the Beatles. And so anyways, here, there, and everywhere, it doesn't matter. That's the name of the series here, there, and everywhere. And here's what we're talking about. We're talking about living aware of the presence of God, living aware of God's presence. And when we're talking about that, I can't think of any better place to start than Psalm 39. Psalm 39 is one of the over 80 Psalms that is credited to Davidic authorship. In other words, it was written by David. Most people think David wrote all the Psalms. It's not actually true. He wrote 80 something. I can't remember. And there's questions about some of them, but about 80 of the Psalms David, David wrote. Uh, there, there, there were other authors in Psalms. I mean, the sons of Korah, Asaph. Um, I, Moses has a Psalm. And so... Um, but about 80 of them were written by, by King David, and, and we believe this to be one of those that were written uh, by him. There's debate as to when it was written, as there's always debate about those things. But in this psalm, in this psalm, he comes to this realization, if you will, that, that there is no place you can go and be out of God's presence. And there is no place you can go and, and God not know where you're at or God not be there. And, and it's a pretty incredible revelation. In fact, as we study the psalm, he kind of sticks to the omnis. If, you're, if you want theological terms, you know, the, the omni, the, he kind of starts with the omniscience, that God knows him and knows us and knows all about us. And then he kind of goes to the, to the omnipresence. And then he kind of gets to the omnipotence, which is God is all powerful. So omniscience, God is all knowing, omnipresent, God is everywhere. Uh, omnipotence, God is all powerful. And, and he kind of covers all of that throughout this psalm. It's a pretty incredible psalm. Actually, in fact, most of your Bibles say that it was written for the select musicians. In other words, this was, this was being performed by your A-team. Like this is, he knew this was a hit when he was writing it. I think that's kind of what that means. But Psalm 139, let's dive in together. We're going to read the first 12 verses. And it says this, O oh Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know, when I sit down or stand up, you know, my thoughts, even when I'm far away, you, you see me when I travel and when I rest at home, uh, you know, everything that I do, you, you know, where I'm going, to, you, you know what I'm going to say, even before I say it, Lord, uh, you go before me and you follow me at the same time, you place your hand of blessing on my head. And then he gets to the conclusion of understanding all this. He's like, this is, this blows my mind, mind blown. He says this, this knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. Like this is, this is beyond me. Uh, I, I can never escape from your spirit. So now he transitions from God knows everything to God basically is everywhere. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go to heaven, then, then you're there. 
If I go down to the grave, well, you're, you're there also. If I ride on the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night, but even in darkness, I can't hide from you. God, you got night vision goggles. <laughs> to you, the night shines as bright as day. Darkness and light, look at that. Darkness and light are the same to you. Man, I, listen, God is light. And in him, there is no darkness, which means everywhere God is, there is light. Even, even if darkness is trying to, to encroach, if it's trying, trying to, to fill up, if it's trying to, to come in, God, if God's there, light's there. And he's like, there's just no difference to you, God. Everywhere you go, it's, it's light. Um, it's kind of, kind of a, an amazing chapter. If you read it, I'd encourage you this week, maybe just read the whole chapter and, and see what God speaks to you. Um, but we're gonna dive in it together. But before we do, let's pray. God, we thank you so much. Uh, that, that your word is truth and God, that your spirit brings life. Um, and God, we thank you for your presence that's even here with us even now. And, and God, what we know is we can't change our hearts and we know you can't change our minds. But God, in this moment together, we set our minds to allow you to change our hearts. And so God, we just ask that you would come by your spirit and speak and bring life um, and God, change us all in your presence. In Jesus, Jesus' name, amen. Psalm, Psalm 139, incredible, talks about the presence of God. And, and here, is, here is kind of this summation, really, is that, is that and this, I really, the title is kind of the whole message, really. So my title is, because uh, this is where David comes to, there's nowhere to hide, or, or there's no, no reason, nowhere to run, and then no need to hide. There's nowhere to run and no need to hide. This, this to me is what Psalm 139 tells me, right? That there's nowhere to run and there's no need to hide. I can't get away from God's presence, but I don't need to. And, and so I wanna, I wanna dive into this together. And so uh, if you're writing, taking notes or whatever you can write down, point number one, point number one is this, um, God is wherever you are. <laughs> God is wherever you are. It's theological truth. We call this God's uh, omnipresence or the fact that God is omnipresent. And, and, and some people say, well, that means that God is everywhere. And, and I think that's accurate. Um, but I think that to me has always made God too small. I remember in Bible school when we had to cover all these theological terms and ideas and it's like God, God is everywhere. That's what omnipresence means is, is that God is everywhere. And to me, that, that almost made it small enough that I could understand it. And, and for me, I think that, that that's not what God is. I don't think I'm supposed, in fact, in fact, I had a friend or I do have a friend who's an atheist and we were having this conversation. He said, he said, the fact that I can't understand God is why I believe there is no God. And I told him the fact that I can't understand God is proof that there is a God. It just all depends on how you look at it. Because if, if I can understand him, I could create him. I might could control him, right? And, and then all of a sudden he's not, he, he might be my God, but he's not really God at all. He's just a God I made up that, that, that understands and, and does things the way, and, and I understand him. And so to me, the fact that I can't really wrap my head around God tells me he's bigger than me. And I kind of like the fact that if I could understand him, he would have to be equal to me or lesser than me. But if I can't understand him at all, he's got to be bigger than me, right? And that's, I, for me, if I'm going to worship a God, I'd like one bigger than me. So, so, um, so to me, when I look at the omnipresence of God, what I say is God is just so big, his presence just kind of consumes everything. 
He's so big, he's just everywhere because he's so big. Nothing is able to get outside of his presence because nothing is bigger than him. Nothing is as vast as him. Nothing is magnificent or as great as him. And so when I look at the omnipresence of God, what that means is, hey, if I go there, he's already there. And if I come here, he's already, he was already here. And if I go anywhere or everywhere, he's still, he's still there. And he was there before I got there. He goes before me. So David said, he goes, he's before me and behind me. Why is that? Because he was there before I got there and he'll be there when I leave, right? God is everywhere. And it's because God is so big that, that he's everywhere. And so then when I realize that, I look at what David said, that God is where I am. And then all of a sudden it starts to, to kind of zoom in on the fact that, well, then, then God is, ev- I, then I can never be outside of the presence of God. Oh man, I could never be. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? I don't know. Let's talk about it. I could never be outside the presence of God. Here's the great thing. Depending on how you look at it, you've never been alone. Even when you thought you were alone, you weren't alone because he was there. In fact, he got there before you got there and he was still there when you left. You were never alone. In fact, when, when the Bible says in Deuteronomy and then also in Hebrews, it quotes it where God can never leave you or forsake you. It's, it's the theological truth that he can't leave you because he is where you are. And wherever you are, he is. And so it's impossible for God to ever move away from you or get away from you or for you to get away from him, right? I mean, there was, there was this one guy named Jonah. He decided that he was going to run. The Bible says run from the presence of God. Obviously, he didn't read Psalm 139. <laughs> because what he found out, God said, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. He said, I ain't going to Nineveh. Those people are crazy. So I'm going to go the other way, right? And he gets on a boat and finds out that God was still there. And God was on the boat and God was in the storm. And then he jumps over the boat because it's the only way to save the boat. And then he finds out that God's presence is actually alive in sushi because the whale swallowed him. He was eaten by the sushi and God's presence was actually in the whale. And he has a conversation with God in the whale in the ocean. Can't run from the presence of God. That's why David's telling us, look, you, you can't run from the presence of God. God is everywhere you are. And that, that could be, that could be soothing in a way, or it could be unsettling. Uh, because see, I grew up in, in, in more of a legalistic culture and legalism really focused on the rules. And, and so I was like keenly aware that God knew everything I was thinking, right? And I was keenly aware that God knew everything I was doing. And I mean, just that song before I was even allowed to sing it because it was secular music and we could only listen to music that had been saved, apparently, Which is kind of funny to me. But anyways, um, it was always like, I always feel like somebody's watching me. You know what I mean? It's like, like where is it? You know? and, and, but here's the problem. Here's the problem. It wasn't really soothing to me because, because I thought God is surveilling me, if you will. His, his surveillance is all about finding what I do wrong. And see, our view of God determines whether this truth of God is a positive or a negative. In fact, most of the time, our view of God determines a lot of what Scripture teaches us, whether that's good or bad. And so if I think that God is always out to get me and and his surveillance, like he has set up like, you know, like almost like a, a bad Santa Claus, like he's not trying to get me on the nice list. He's trying to get me on the naughty list. He's trying to find the things that I do wrong then if that's my view of God, then the fact that I can't escape his presence and the fact that he knows everything about me and knows what I think and what I'm gonna say before I say it is not good news. That could be unsettling when you think about it, right? 
That, I mean, right? But if I believe in this other characteristic or this other attribute of God that really to me is the cornerstone of who God is, and that is that God is good. In fact, the psalmist said, you, you are good and do only good. If I believe that, then the fact that God is always watching me actually could be quite helpful and soothing and I could kind of rest in it because here's what David says that I think is, is extraordinary to me. He says in verse five, he says, you, you know what I'm going to say before I say it. You know everything about me. And then he says, and your hand of blessing is on my head. In other words, he starts saying, God, you're actually watching me not to sentence me, but to save me. You're actually watching your surveillance isn't, isn't aimed at, at trying to point out what I'm doing wrong or, or to get me. It's actually about strengthening and supporting me. Think about this. He's saying, God, you know everything about me, yet, yet you're trying to bless me. You're just, you're watching me. I remember um, when, when, when Luke was little, uh, that's my oldest son. So when he was little, um, uh, I don't remember what age, maybe four or five years old, something like that. Um, we're parenting. And part of parenting, again, is what? Training, character, helping shape behavior, right? Because when you go to a restaurant, you want your kids to, to act nice, not only so it's not stressful for you and you're not embarrassed, but so they're not embarrassed. And so, so the restaurant, everybody else can actually enjoy their time as well. And, and so, so you're shaping this behavior. And I remember, you know, when you're raising small kids and some of you probably can remember this, it turns into a lot of don't do this, don't say that. No, not now. You know, it, it can turn into all these negative things, right? Because you're having to teach them. It's not the time for that. You know, it's not the time, you know, to, to, to do this. It's, it is the time, you know? And, and so, and so what, what Julie, because she's a mastermind, uh, she came up with this idea called the marble jar. The marble jar. And, and what the marble jar was, it was a jar that was sitting on a counter and besides she had a canister of marbles. And, and it did two things, really. It trained us as parents and it trained Luke as a child. And, and what we did was we looked for good behavior and when we saw good behavior, we pointed it out and asked Luke to get a marble and put it in his jar. And when the jar hit the red line, that meant he got to go to the store and buy whatever he wanted. And so we'd say, oh, Luke, I loved watching how you, you know, helped your sister with that. Why don't you go put a marble in there? Oh, Luke, you're already ready for bed. Thank you so much. for. Why don't you go put a marble in, in your jar? And, and I think sometimes we think God's surveillance is all about catching us doing bad things so he can, so he can get us. <laughs> when truthfully, according to David, we see it in verse five, his hand of blessing is upon us. And verse 10 tells us, no, he's trying to strengthen and support us. And actually what you find is God is actually looking at your life, trying to find where it's blessable. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's actually not a punisher. He's a blesser. He comes to Abraham, and I'm pretty sure, I mean, at that time, Abraham would have been uh, probably worshiping idols and idolatry because that was what his family did. And he comes to this guy who's worshiping idols, and, he, and his first interaction was, that, hey, Abraham, I know you've been wor worshiping the sun god and the moon god, so I'm going to fry you like a bug zapper right now. That, that wasn't his first, his first conversation. Abraham, I'm really, I've come to you. Here's the bottom line. I just want to bless you. And you got to understand that God is good. If you're going to live in the presence of God, you got to understand that God is good and he's actually surveilling you to strengthen you, to encourage you, and to bless you. That's the, the first thing, that, that, that God is wherever you are. Here's the second thing. God is close but wants to be closer. 
God is close, but wants to be closer. And, and here's what I mean by this. The Bible talks about, when we talk about the presence of God, there are kind of two, two main categories. Um, two main categories. We, we could talk about what we're talking about, the, the omnipresence of God, the omnipresence of God, that, that everything happens in God's presence. But if we go a step farther, we can, we can talk about the manifest presence of God. So the omnipresence of God says God is here, there, and he's everywhere. But, but the manifest presence of God, if I could explain this in the simplest terms, the manifest presence of God simply means this, that God is trying to make himself known to us. So the omnipresence is God is, manifest presence is God has made himself known. That God is actually saying, hey, here I am. Hey, I want you to know me. Hey, there's some things about me that I want you to understand. So I was here, but now all of a sudden I'm here in a way because I want you to, to know me. Psalm, Psalm 145, 18, watch this. It says, the Lord is close. Like he's close, but wants to be closer. How, how much closer? Well, he's close. And when you call on him, he gets even closer, right? The Bible says he's near to the brokenhearted, right? And then it goes on to say, verse 19, he grants the desires of those who fear him. In other words, there he is making himself known. You have a desire, God wants to grant it, not out to get you, he's out to bless you. He hears their cries and what? Makes himself known as a rescuer or a protector. Do you see that? It's like he was there, but then he came into action. He was there, but then you got to see him. The Lord protects all those who love him, but he destroys the wicked. He's there, but now he's gonna protect you. And so there's the omnipresence of God, but then there's the manifest presence of God where God makes himself known. To, and in fact, really, honestly, truthfully, that's, that's why we gather even on the weekends. I don't know if you know this, because sometimes even, God, even though God is here, there, and everywhere, sometimes we're not aware of it. Thus, this whole series. And sometimes we, we kind of get stuck in our own life, just kind of seeing the life as the way we see it and, and our world as the way we know it. And, and, and our vision gets maybe a little tunnel vision and we kind of come into this place and we forget that this, it's not really all about us, that there's more going on than just what's going on with us and that we're a part of this, of this big creation. But even more than that, we're, we're a part of God's big family and that God is there and he's actually with us and he's working his purposes and his plans and fulfilling his promises. And all of that's going on while we're right here. And, and so sometimes we can get so caught up in our lives that we forget God's actually here, there, and everywhere. We, we forget sometimes. I, maybe you don't. I mean, it's probably just me. But, but, but there's times I get so, even in, hello, even in ministry, you can get so focused on what has to be done and what, what you're trying to accomplish. And sometimes you forget to say, well, God, you're right here with me. And, and, and what we see is that God is always there, but, but more than God always being there, God, God wants to make himself known to us. Like there's, you know, someone can be there. Like, like for instance, we could say that if I said, hey, in this, in this room right now is a multi-billionaire. Well, well, he's present, but, but we don't really know that. We don't know him, don't, don't know anything. But if all of a sudden that multi-billionaire stood up and said, hey, I'm the multi-billionaire and I'm gonna do what only a multi-billionaire could do right now. I'm gonna give every family a million dollars. Well, all of a sudden, he would be made known to us, right? He was there and we didn't know it, 
And then all of a sudden, we all know it now, right? And so, by the way, I'll just pause for a minute if anybody would like to, just if the Lord's, if the Lord's leading you, trying to build a building. So, you know, multi-billionaires, if you're here. No, I'm just kidding. Um, anyways, but, but you see the difference. He was there, but then he made himself known. And one of the ways he made himself known was by doing things that no one else could do. And that's kind of what God is. God is always there, but he wants to make himself known. And one of the ways he makes himself known, just like we read, is he's protecting us, right? And, and if we call out to him, he's, he's coming close to us. He does things that no one else could know. Uh, we see this a lot in, in, in really the life of Moses are some great examples of this. I mean, first of all, Moses, 40 years living in Pharaoh's house, 40 years uh, raising wild animals in the wilderness. And then all of a sudden, he encounters like a forest fire and, and just a, it's fall. So only you can prevent them. All right. So, but anyways, he encounters forest fire, this burning bush, if you will. And, and it's burning, but, but it's not consuming. It's, it's, it's on fire, but it's not burning anything up. Right. And, and we know that to be God. Now here's the crazy thing. Who made the bush? God, who had always been there? God, who had passed by there? Probably Abraham a few times. I mean, Moses a few times. But, but then all of a sudden, God says, right here, I'm going to make myself known. And he lights this bush on fire, right? And Moses walks over and God says, hey, take your shoes off. Now, why would I take my shoes off? You don't take your shoes off the wilderness. No, you take your shoes off. God says, because this place is now holy. Why was it holy? Because God made himself known. Right? And when we gather on the weekends, that's really part of what we're doing. We're coming together saying, God, this is a holy time. Why? Because even though we're aware, we want you to make yourself known. Even though we know you're everywhere, we want you to make yourself known. And when God makes himself known where he previously was, even though it wasn't really, we weren't really aware, when he makes himself known, that becomes holy. In fact, to me, to me, this is one of the ways God redeems parts of our life because sometimes we go through things and we think God wasn't with us, but the Bible said he can never leave us and now we're learning he was actually there. And what we could actually do is go back and say, God, make yourself known to me in that moment. And many times that's how he brings healing and restoration and deliverance. Are, are you with me? And so Moses like has this encounter with God where God makes himself known and, and, then, and then God wants the, the the Israelites, the children of Israel, to come out of Egypt. Why? Because he wanted them to worship at Mount Sinai. Why? Because he wanted to make himself known. Was, he, was God in Egypt? Yeah. Was God with them in Egypt? Yeah, he's here, there, and everywhere, right? Was God already at Mount Sinai before they got there? Yeah. But God had this appointment with them where God says, you know what? Here's the thing about me. I want you to know me. I want to make myself known to you. I'm not content to be close. I want to be closer. I'm not, I'm not content to just to be around you. I, I want you to be aware and, and I want you to know me. And, and one of the greatest things, we, we know God comes down on the mountain and Israel runs away from God and Moses goes up into God's manifested presence, if you will, thunderings, lightnings, clouds, smoke, all that kind of, kind of stuff. And, and then we have one of these amazing encounters because there really are levels, I think, to being aware of God's presence and, and levels to God's presence. Case in point, they're, they're, they're at the mountain while God was there. God comes down on the mountain. Moses goes up in the cloud. He's actually talking with God, meeting with him. And then Moses is like, there's still another level. Show me your glory. Right? This is all Exodus 33 and now Exodus 34, where Moses is like, okay, God, I'm in your presence. Like, we're talking on the mountain, in the cloud. We're talking but there's more. Show me your glory. And then God says, well, you know, that would kill you. But then they work out God has this plan because God always has a plan. 
And God's like, I'll hide you in a rock and I'll walk by, I'll remove my hand and you can see my back. And so Moses is like, hey, I'm up for whatever I can get. I'm going all in. I wanna know your presence. I wanna know you. And one of the ways we know God is by his presence, right? And so he said, bring it on God. And so then we have this in Exodus 34, verse six, where, where God passed in front of Moses, it says. And what did he do when his presence came? He made known who he was right? When God shows up, he makes known who he is. And, he, and so he passed in front of Moses proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, look at this, the compassionate and gracious God. He is slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. And then he goes on to say, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished and he punishes the children and their children for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generation. In other words, look at what he says. He says, look, he's full of love. He's full of compassion. He's full of faithfulness. He's maintaining love. But, but if you refuse all of that, he's still just, yes. right? He, he didn't start off with, hey, I came to punish everybody. No, he said, no, I came to be good. I came to be faithful. I came to be loving. But if you resist all of that, I still have to be justice. I still have to be just, right? And so what is, what's happening? Moses is like, hey, I wanna know you, I wanna know you. God's like, my presence here. And Moses is like, well, then make yourself known. He's like, I'll make myself known. God wants to be known. You, you could write this down. He's close, but desires to be closer. But you could write this down. More than being served, God wants to be known. And I think sometimes we miss this, that, that serving God without knowing God is actually just legalism. And you, you can't serve your way into knowing God, but if you know God, you'll serve him. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And what we say is, well, the way I show my love for him is keeping his commandments. And that's not what Jesus was saying. Jesus was actually saying, no, 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 no. If you'll know me, it'll be really easy to obey me. If, you, if you'll really come to that place of experiencing my love, you'll want to follow me. Like if you're over here and you're like, I don't think I want to follow that guy. I don't know about this guy. He asked for a lot, blah, 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 blah. I don't want, I can tell you where the breakdown is. You don't know him. You don't know because the more you know him, the more you want to obey him, the more you want to follow him, the more you want to serve him, right? And so God knows this and this is what grace is all about. Grace is all about, hey, I want you to know me so you can follow me. I want you to know me so you can serve me. And, and when we get legalistic, sometimes we grow up in, in legalistic places and, and, and all of a sudden we think, oh man, you know, I gotta, I gotta do this and this and this. So God will be okay with me. And when I serve God apart from relationship, that is in essence legalism, which the Bible says always leads to death. That what God wants is he wants to be known more than he wants to be served. Listen, as a dad, I, I want my kids to obey me. But at our house, we decided we're always gonna focus on relationship, not rules. And so we start relationship talks when we start seeing bad attitude, when we start seeing breaks in character. But we, we don't approach it from these are the rules. We approach it from, hey, I want you to know me and I want you to know what my role is here and how I'm trying to help you. And I love you and I'm for you. And so we, gotta, we, gotta, we really need to adjust some things here. And it's not about punishments and rules. That, that's, nah, it's really about this relationship because more than I want my kids to, to know my rules, I want them to know my heart. Yeah. And when we look at God, God's always trying to reveal himself. In fact, the Bible says he, he reveals himself in creation. That's Romans 1. Uh, it tells us God reveals himself in creation. Psalm 19, 1 says that the heavens proclaim the glory of God and the skies display his craftsmanship. And, and day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make him known. 
In other words, God's revealing himself through creation. I know scientists say, well, nothing collided with nothing and we got all this something out of it. And I think that's crazy because, I, I mean, if, if you have intelligent design, you had to have an intelligent designer. You, you know, I've, I beat rocks together when I was a kid. I didn't get a Rolex. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I actually had something and something and still couldn't get nothing, you know what I mean? Or still got nothing, right? And and so, I mean, obviously, if there's a watch, there's a watchmaker. And so this is what, like, God's trying to reveal himself in creation, and he reveals himself through his word. He reveals himself uh, through even our conscience. But then God revealed himself through Jesus. Again, he's just trying to make himself known because the Bible says, again, Romans chapter Romans chapter one, I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter one, God revealed himself through Jesus and said that Jesus was the exact representation or exact imprint of his glory and, and who he was. That, that Jesus, in fact, Colossians says that Jesus was the visible image of an invisible God. Right, so God's like, hey, I, I want you to know me, so I'm gonna send my son. Think about it, Jesus, Jesus shows us what God is like. In fact, Jesus told Philip this, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So Jesus actually, sh- you want to know what God's like? Look at Jesus, perfect theology. Study Jesus, you'll know exactly what God looks like. So, so Jesus shows us what, God's, what God looks like. Another thing is Jesus showed us who we're redeemed to look like. Right? And so God is trying to make himself known. So it's crea- creation and conscience and, and his word and Jesus. And then he's making himself known through the Holy Spirit. Watch this. 1 Corinthians 2.10 says, but it, it was to us that God revealed these things by his spirit. For his spirit searches out everything and shows us the deep secrets. Look at that. In other words, God's like, I'm giving you a decoder ring, if you will. There's secrets. I want you to understand them. So I'm giving you the Holy Spirit. Watch this. No one can know a person's thoughts except that person's own spirit. And no one can know God's thoughts except God's spirit. So what do we do? What do we do? Verse 12. And we receive God's spirit, not the world's spirit. So we can know, God makes known, right? So we can know the wonderful things God has freely given us. God's God's trying to make himself known. That God is everywhere, but God wants you to, 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 to know him in every place and every moment. He wants you to live aware of him. I mean, another theological term, substitutionary atonement, What does that mean? It means that Jesus took our place so he could take our sins so we could have his place and be one with God. Substitutionary atonement. Why why did he do that? Why? Because God can only dwell in clean places. Well, the Bible says I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? Well, if God can only dwell in a clean place, I must be clean. How was I made clean? Jesus, substitutionary atonement. And so here's what God said. I sent Jesus. Why? Because I want you to have my spirit. Why? Because I want you to know me. And I'm not going to have secrets from you right? I'm, I'm going to let you decode them. And you can even know the thoughts that I have and the plans that I have, right? God's like, I want you, listen, more than being served, I want you to know me. That's why uh, James says, draw near to God. He'll draw near to you. Uh, in Jeremiah, God said, you'll seek me and you'll find me when you seek me with all your heart. Jeremiah also said, call unto me. I'd be glad to answer you and show you things you have no way of knowing any other way. Right? I mean, the Bible is full of God saying, hey, more than being served, I want to be known. So God is wherever you are and he's close, but he wants to be closer. And so what do we do with this? Like, what do we do with this? Well, I think David tells us in Psalm 139. Here's what Psalm 139 verse 23 says. 
This is where David kind of ends it. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Search me and know me, test me and try me, point out anything and lead me. Here's what, here's, and this is the third point if you want to write this down. This is what David said, essentially in my, in my opinion. If I engage, then I will be changed. Like God is wherever I am, right? And God is close, but wants to be closer. And so if I engage his presence, I will be changed by it. If I engage his presence, think, think about this. Here's what, here's what he said. There's nowhere to escape the Holy Spirit. There's nowhere you can run away from God. Remember Jonah? You can get, probably not gonna happen to you, but you could get swallowed by a whale and find out God's presence is in the well in the bottom of the ocean, right? Probably not gonna happen. I don't know where you swim. Probably not gonna happen. But I'm just saying you can't run from God's presence. That's what he said. There is, there's nowhere to run to get away from God's presence. And so if we can't get away from God's presence, then, then what do we do? We engage it. And this is what David says. Look, you can't run from God's presence. And here's what he's saying, but you don't need to. You can't hide from, because we all know what it's like to try to hide from God. Remember Adam and Eve, right? And God comes in the garden. He's like, hey, Adam and Eve, where did you guys go? Spoiler alert, he knew where they were, but they didn't know where they were. They didn't know the condition they were in. And sometimes, and this is what David is saying, sometimes we engage God's presence because we don't really know what's going on with us. Search me. Search me, right? Because you know what the Bible says? We can't search ourselves. It says your heart is deceitfully wicked. Those are good Halloween terms. Right? Deceitfully wicked. Like if you're looking for a Halloween costume, dress up as a heart. It's wicked. It's deceitful right? Deceitfully wicked. What does that mean? Your heart lies to you. Sometimes you don't know where you're at and you don't know what's going on with you. And David's like, hey, it's possible that I could be lying to myself and it's possible that I may not be going, I may not even know what's going on with me. But here's the thing. Since I can't run from God's presence, it's everywhere since God already knows everything about me. And sometimes God knows something about us that we know about us, but we try to pretend like neither of us know that about us. Tell me I'm not preaching. You know, it's true. Like God starts dealing with like, what? No, it's not there. I'm not going, God, I'm not praying about that. I'm just going to pretend, I'm just going to pretend it's not there. And you're talking to God about what you're hiding from God. Welcome to being human. And here's what David said. Look, sometimes I don't know what's going on with me. Sometimes I don't know what's happening to me, but I know this, God's presence is everywhere. And since God's presence is everywhere and God already knows what's going on with me, even when I don't know and he knows what I'm gonna say before I'm gonna say it. Here's the thing, there is nowhere to run, but here's what David says, and there's no need to hide. God is completely safe to, to open up my soul and open up my heart and say, God, search me and know me. You already know it anyway. You've already searched it anyway. Let's just get on the same page. God, search me and know me. Why? Because you're really trying to bless me and you're trying to strengthen me and you're trying to support me. And until I open up and let you in, that's not gonna be able to happen. So since you already know, even when I don't know, and you know about me when I don't know about me, I don't need to hide anything. Even what I know is there. I don't have to hide because you already know it's there and you're still trying to bless me. You're still trying to support me and you're still trying to strengthen me. And so he says, hey, I can't run, but I don't need to hide. I can't run, but I don't need to hide. 
And here's what he said then. You know what I need to do? I need to engage. I can't run. I don't need to hide. I need to engage. Let me engage his presence. Since he's already there, might as well talk to him. Since he's already there, right? Might, might, might as well talk to him. Since he goes before me, he's behind me. Since he's everywhere I am, might as well be aware of it. Might as well engage him. And so he says, search me and, and know me. In other words, God, I'm not going to hide my life. I'm going to ask you to fill my life. I'm not going to hide my life. I'm going to ask you to fill my life. See, the truth is, if you want to know about God, God never created anything he didn't intend to fill. God created a world and he said, I'm going to fill it with my glory. God created a man. He said, I'm going to fill him with my spirit. He breathed into his nostrils. When man messed both of those up, God created a tabernacle and he said, I'm going to fill it with my spirit. Right? Right. When it was time, God said, let's make a temple. I'm going to fill. Then, you know what? I'll send Jesus. Why? Because I want a bunch of temples. And I want to be able to fill you again with my spirit, which was my plan all along. God never creates anything that he doesn't intend to fill. And here's the reality. Everything, God's feel, everything that God feels changes. See, Ephesians 1 said he feels all in all. He, he feels everything. But Galatians chapter 4 says he has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. And now we become sons of God. Anything he feels, he changes. Let me tell you the reason why you want God to fill your life, because he will change it, and it will be better than anything you can do with it. Are you with me? The reason you want God to fill your life is because he will change it, and once he changes it, it'll be better than anything you could have done with it. That's why we all want God to fill our lives, that, that God wants to fill our lives. He wants to fill us with his presence. Now, here's the other truth about God. God will only fill the space that I'll give him. I have as much of God as I want. You have as much of God as you want. God is close, but wants to be closer. If you engage, you'll be changed, but you have to engage before he can change. He will only fill the space that you give him. Now, let me tell you why you want God to fill you. Because David ends with this, lead me in the everlasting path, right? Leave me in the right path, everlasting life. Here's the truth. Write this down. Save your life. You will be led by whatever you're filled by. Figure it out. Look, look at it in every possible way. You will be led by whatever you're filled by. Be filled with bitterness and see if it doesn't lead you. Be filled with unforgiveness and see if it doesn't lead you, Right? Be, be filled with, with a victimized mentality and see if it doesn't lead you into another victim situation. You will be led by whatever you're filled by. And what David says, hey, I want you to search me. I want you to know me. In other words, I want you in every part of my life. Why? Because I know I'm going to be led by whatever I'm filled with. And if I'm filled with you, I'm going to be led by you. I think Romans said it this way. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God, right? When I'm led by, when I'm filled with the Spirit and led by the Spirit, then I'm led into adoption and into sonship and into identity and into purpose and into calling and into destiny, right? But, but if I don't let God fill me, I might be led by something else I'm filled with. If I don't let God fill me, then my unforgiveness, my shame, my guilt, right? Any of those things could start leading my life and I might actually follow them to death. Or 
I can let him fill me. He already knows me. I don't need to run. There's no need to hide. He already knows what's there. We could just be honest about it. God's the safest person to be honest. And here's why. He already knows everything and he hadn't killed you yet. Like if you think he's out to get you, like somehow he doesn't know. He already knows. He already knows. Here's one thing for sure. You can't shock him. Like, like I remember there was this, <laughs> there was this, uh, um, one of those psychic places and, and then I drove by it and they had put up a sign for sale and I thought that was weird because I'm like, well, if you're psychic, then you just call the people that are supposed to buy it. Right? Like if you're psychic, you should, no one should sneak up on you. Like, you, like did they know they were going to go out of business? I don't know. Like, probably not a good psychic, but here's what I thought about God is if you're really all knowing, nothing surprises you. And here's what I can tell you about God. There is nothing you can tell God or bring into his life that's going to surprise him. Yet he is saying, let me feel all of you so that I can lead you, so that you can know me, so that you can know me, so that you can know you. Live in my presence. Be aware of it. I want to be close, but I want to be closer. So please engage me and let's start working this transformation out so that you follow the right path because you're filled with the right thing. Amen. Come on, can you give God praise for a good word? That's a good word. Amen. Why don't you stand with me?